Well, here we are, and we're here, as I mentioned earlier, to talk about deferring praise. And as I was thinking over the message this morning, and maybe some of you have had the same struggle that I know in my life I've had, is that um, for a long time, I thought it was a bigger issue how I handled criticism. Like, I, I, I could always do it pretty well on the outside, but inside I felt like I was seething um, because people weren't apparently agreeing with the way I was doing things or, or, or liking what I was doing. And when people would criticize me, boy, that really annoyed me. And um, I, I struggled with that for the longest time. Of course, the nice thing about life is you gain experience, you get to know people, you know a little bit better um, how, how things are meant to happen, and, and you actually become a wiser, more skilled person in life as a pastor, as a dad, at, you know, in all the roles, right? So, so I thought, you know, this is good, I'm not getting as much criticism, and then the praise started rolling in, and I was enjoying that, like, a lot. This is really cool. <laughs> People are liking how we're doing this. My kids love me as a dad. My wife even thinks I'm all that sometimes. And then one day I was reflecting on this daily devotion, and I came to this realization that it's a far bigger spiritual struggle for me, not how I handle criticism, but how I handle praise. I, I, I started to believe my own press. I don't know if any of you have ever struggled with that, where people are keeping a lot of praise on you and thanking you for all the wonderful things you've done for them in their life. I mean, almost every morning at home, Julie does that. She just sits me down and says, Jeff, you're amazing. Okay, maybe not so much. But, but I was getting a lot of words of affirmation. And I, I just realized, dude, you're like, believing your own press, that's a big mistake. But there was a big part of me that wanted to hear more. Flatter me, flatter me, flatter me. And I, I don't know where you guys are in your own struggle. I just wanted to be honest and open with you when I was preparing this message. I, I thought, you know, the devil has a way with me. And sometimes, yeah, he still gets me with criticism, but far more often... <laughs> He gets me sliding sideways in my spiritual life through praise. And so I'm really excited to deliver this message to you today, whichever side of the pendulum swing you're on uh, on that, because I think it can help actually with both things, if you struggle with criticism or if you struggle with praise. Uh, Paul was writing to the Corinthians, and the Corinthians, <laughs> I love both letters to the Corinthians, because the Corinthians are just an absolute mess. They really are. And they're trying to get together and be a church and, you know, honor God for the salvation that he's won for them, and they just can't get their act together. 
There's no way. And so Paul's writing these letters to try to help them and coach them and remind them of the key things of being a Christian. Paul was the one that started the church there on his missionary journeys. So they have a lot of respect for Paul. They have an ongoing relationship with Paul. And we'll talk a little bit more about what's going on in the book in a second. But as I read today's opening lesson, I want you to think about this. This is Paul talking to this church congregation like we are here um, in Corinth, and he's dealing with infighting is the best way to put it. Like they're all trying to juggle an elbow for, for room closer to Paul or closer to someone that they think is maybe even more important than Paul, Apollos. And so now Paul writes this letter to talk to them about how to handle uh, these kind of things in their life. So let's read 1 Corinthians chapter 3, and I'll read verses 3 to 9. You, Corinthians, are still worldly. For since there is jealousy and quarreling among you, are you not worldly? Are you not acting like mere humans? For one, when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, are you not mere human beings? You know what they're doing here? How, how many of you are familiar what's, with what's rampant through uh, the countries around the world that um, are socialist or communist? You know, they have a term for this in those countries. Do you know what it is? It's called um, social credit. Now, we all live on social credit, but in communist and, and socialist countries, this is a capital T thing. And basically, it takes this principle to its maximum conclusion. It's not what you know. You're not going to get ahead in life in this country by what you know. So you can have skills or you cannot have skills. We don't care. In this place, social credit means if you want to get ahead in life, it's all about who you know, right? So we can see that, it, it, and, and, I, and I don't mean to get political here, that also exists in our capitalist system, by the way. It's just a little bit more tamped down. Um, but, but here, Paul is, is just calling it out. For when one says, I follow Paul, and another says, I follow Paulus, are you not mere human beings? That's the social credit system. They think they're going to get ahead by knowing the right people. What, after all, is Apollos? And what is Paul? Only servants through whom you came to believe, as the Lord has assigned to each his task. I planted the seed, Apollos watered it, but God has been making it grow. Who gets the real credit? God, of course, but maybe they were forgetting it. So neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but only God who makes things grow. The one who plants and the one who waters have one purpose, and they will each be recorded, rewarded according to their own labor. For we are God's co-workers in God's service. You are God's field, God's building. All right, so here's the question of the day. And, and I, I might encourage you 
uh, to write these two words down. The question of the day is, do I want to go through life being a sponge or a sprinkler? You want to be a sponge or a sprinkler? And, and you know the difference, right? A sponge soaks all the water in and all this stuff in, and the best sponges, well, they soak a lot of stuff in, and we love having those for when those, at least when I fumble stuff on the kitchen counter, and uh, it's great to have a good sponge. But you also know what happens to a sponge when it gets no water. Ever, you like, grabbed a sponge that has had no water for like two weeks? It's like a little rock, a a very light rock, but it is dry as dust. Now, sprinklers are different. Sprinklers, um, they don't want to soak it in. They want to spread it out. And so that's your question for today. Do I want to go through life being a sponge or a sprinkler? So you saw Paul there. Maybe you could ask yourself just throughout the message, like, was Paul being a sponge or a sprinkler? So let's go into, let's let's dive into um, a a couple pictures I want to put up here for you. Um, There's a great book named Animal Farm. How many of you read this maybe in high school or college, right? This is an interesting book. If you have not read Animal Farm, I mean, check it out from the library, order it from Amazon. It's a classic. It's not going to cost you that much. Put it on your Kindle. The, The story is about an animal farm, that makes sense, where they, the animals rise up and rebel against their master, Mr. Jones. And they boot him out. And they become the masters of their own destiny, the masters of the farm, and they run the farm the way they think it should have been run in the first place when mean old Mr. Jones uh, was around, but now he's been ousted. Yay! No more Mr. Jones. That's what you think at first. So as they begin to rule, one of the pig rulers realizes they need a value or something to center their whole organization, their whole life on. They need to figure out how they're going to decide who's good and who's bad. And there's a very, this may be the most famous quote in the whole book, Animal Farm. Anybody think they know it? All right, we'll see. There it is. Four legs good, two legs bad. You know what that means, right? Mr. Jones, he's never coming back. He's got two legs. He walks around upright. And so there's no way in the world he's ever getting back in. And in fact, anything. And then they, this is a really cool part of it. They realize, oh man, some of our farm animals, the chickens, the ducks, problem. They only have two legs. But we want them here. They're part of the good guys. Not one of those nasty humans. So 
they devised this explanation that wings are used for propulsion and legs are used for propulsion. So, honorarily, the birds are factored in because their wings are not meant to pick stuff up. Their wings are meant to propel them forward. All of a sudden, magically, they, are, they don't have two legs. They have four legs. Pretty funny. Then one day, one of the key leader pigs on the farm decides that he is going to walk upright on only two legs. And oh my goodness, does that cause a stir. Why is he just walking around on two legs? And then they figure out, well, we, we've got to, we, we have got to maybe change that slogan a little bit. So they change it from four legs good, two legs bad, to four legs, uh, four legs good, two legs better. Now, I, I, we don't need to go further into the story. Get the book. You'll really enjoy it. It explains a lot of things that are going on in our world today. It really does. This guy, George Orwell, was completely prescient. He, he knew what was coming. And if you read this, it's, it's a fable, but it's a fun fable. You're going to get what's going on in our world today. But do you notice how when it's all about social credit and who you know, that it also then becomes about these weird identifiers? Like two legs, not four legs? Things that really don't matter become things that matter majorly. And the reason I'm bringing this story up is because that's really what our, our message is about. We, in our humanity and in our sin, think that who we know should really determine how far we can go. And when we get praise, we start to believe our own press and we think, ah, I think, I think I'm all that. And so Paul is coming into this mess in Corinth where that was running rampant. Corinth, it could have been renamed to Animal Farm, even though it was a Christian church. I, I talked about how communist countries can be animal farms. Here's the sad truth. Congregations can become animal farms because of sin in the world. And so Paul comes in and he sees, he didn't know George Orwell, George Orwell wouldn't come along for 2,000 years, but he did know this was not godly. And so he begins to push back against the animal farm nature of the Corinthians. I'm going to ask three questions today or talk about three things. Uh, I thought for a little fun, let's do it Jeopardy style. So I'm going to put something out there, and then the answer to every one of these things is going to be a question, all right? So this first one's a little complicated. I think I can make it better than actually reading it just by reading what I meant. I have a little bit of a cold. I think when I wrote this, I was like, it makes sense to me. I'm not sure if it makes sense to you, but let me read it, and we'll see what it means. What quarreling, being divisive, and finding one's value in who your friends are, social credit, what that reveals in a word. 
If, if you struggle with any of these things, if you're a quarrelsome person, if you find yourself going into a situation and all of a sudden people are divided into factions and you're like, <laughs> that's pretty cool. They thought they were unified. Not anymore. Or if you feel like, I don't know who I really am. I don't know how much value I have unless your friends are constantly telling you how much value you have. Then that's what we're asking about here. There's a word for it, a single word that Paul uses. So let's, let's uh, read the next uh, verses. You are still worldly. For since there is jealousy and quarreling among you, are you not worldly? Are you not acting like mere humans? For when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, are you not mere human beings? So what is, what is, what is the word? I'll just tell you. He repeats it here. It's worldly when we act this way. When we are quarrelsome and divisive and, and can only somehow seem to find our value if our friends tell us how valuable we are, then that's being, Paul says, worldly. Now, you need some context. You know how to read your Bibles well, don't you? I'm going to give you a little tip on how to read your Bible well. Uh, when I first became a Christian as a teenager, I thought God wanted me to just go boop and read wherever my finger landed. I I'll tell you, I mean, you can do that. You'll get some value out of it, but you're going to miss something really important if you read the Bible that way. I want to encourage you today when you read the Bible for yourself Start at the beginning of a book and read it all the way through to the end because that's going to give you something really valuable, really important understanding God's Word to you called context. Context helps us understand in any given chapter of a book what that particular chapter is talking about. If we don't, have, if we don't understand the chapters before and we haven't yet gotten to the chapters after, we're going to struggle to understand what it means. And even when you read it from beginning to end, a book like Corinthians, you may still struggle in places, but at least you have some context. You can go, oh yeah, I remember Paul was talking about that. So I'm going to give you some, some context here uh, from 1 Corinthians chapter 1. I know, guys, I skipped past it earlier. Thank you. These guys have to follow me every Sunday. <laughs> Uh, it's not a pleasant job, but if someone is up for the challenge, we're always looking for more tech tables. Brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. Don't go on to the next one. Oh, I miss it. Thank you. These guys are so good. What do you think Paul's encouraging on the Corinthians here? Let's realize where this all started. 
Were you guys all like brilliant theologians and Christ followers who were just so filled with the Holy Spirit that everybody looked to you people in Corinth and said, man, I just want to be so spiritual like them? Paul's answer is, nope, that's not what you were. Not many of you were wise, not many were influential, not many were of noble birth. Okay, let's go on to the next slide. God chose the lowly things of this world. And Paul is talking about the Corinthians, but do you know who else he's talking about? He's talking about a murderer who became a Christ follower. He's talking about a guy that used to go around taking other people's property simply because they called themselves Christian. He's talking about a guy who was so full of himself that he thought everybody should be sitting at his feet and listening only to him because he had that much wisdom to dispense to the world. Talk about sprinklers, man. I could have been such a sprinkler before I became a Christian. He's talking about himself because as Christ came into his life, he realized how far off track he'd been. God chose the lowly things, you guys, yes, but also me, of this world, and the despised things, and the things that are not, isn't that, isn't that kind of beautiful? We may at times feel like we are just little specks, and you know what Paul is saying to you? You feel that way? That's okay, because God's got you in Jesus Christ, in his grace and mercy, death and resurrection. God's got you. And the things that are not to nullify the things that are. When we come into, into God's family through Christ, we gain superpowers, is what Paul is saying, so that no one may boast before him. Paul's point is, we don't need to boast. We don't need to steal other people's credit or Far worse, God's credit? That's not what this whole journey is all about at, at all. So now he writes what, he, what I read earlier to you. I follow Paul. See, they, they wanted to sidle up next to Paul. See, this guy, <laughs> he's my best buddy. When I first got here, that's what I did with Pastor Dustin. I just hung out with him a lot. Pastor Dustin, he's my best buddy. And we are best buddies. But then I realized that's not really, that's not really what God wants. We can still be best buddies as we are. But the right person to attach yourself to, to stay buddies for a long, 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 long time called eternity, put yourself close to Christ. And so that's, that's what Paul is saying here. Anything that does the opposite is being worldly. So remember, in question form, the answer to the first one is, what is a worldly person? Put that Titus passage up for me. How did Paul get there? 
from being a murderer, a guy who took property from others? Like, how did he get to this place of humility? He says, for the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. It teaches us. What does? The grace of God teaches us. This is the power of God's undeserved love and forgiveness. It's not just there to say you're forgiven, although that's the main job. It's not just there to say, don't worry, you're going to heaven. You have a new identity, destiny, purpose, possibilities, and a new family. All those are part of what God's grace gives us in the gospel, and they are powerful. But sometimes we forget God's grace is also a teacher. The grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. And grace is the most powerful teacher. There was a time in the past that I thought, my sinfulness, my mistakes, my bad stuff, my failures, those are the powerful teachers. And they can all be powerful teachers, of course. But you want to know what the most powerful teacher of all is? It's God's grace. That you are a forgiven child of God, bought with the blood of Jesus Christ. It, God's grace, teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. You see, this is what Paul's saying. You want to change things up? Let God's grace teach you while we wait for the blessed hope for Christ's return, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. We don't need to be worldly. Because we have God's grace as Christ followers teaching us. What Paul does instead of jockeying for position. So you heard the first part, right? I follow Paul. I follow Paulus. Reminds me of playing basketball in high school, right? What did you always have to do when the ball went up? You had to box out so you could be closer to the rim. Coaches, high school coaches get crazy about this during a game. Like, you're not boxing out! And we're not getting any rebounds! And we need those rebounds because we can't shoot for... So you jockey, sometimes with your elbows. You used to have pretty sharp elbows. So you can get closer to the rim. Well, these people are trying to box others out, not by trying to get closer to the rim, but by jockeying for position closer to Paul, closer to Apollos, right? And, and so, uh, these poor people. What does Paul do? Paul could have done something that really you shouldn't do spiritually, you shouldn't also do it in sports world, basketball, etc. right? Here's an anonymous quote for you. Don't play your opponent's game. Make your opponent play your game. Good coaches always coach this point. Played enough basketball in high school that I knew how badly it would just innervate my coach if the other team coming at us started slowing the game down. Because we were a fast break team. Our whole goal was get the rebound, point A. After you get the rebound, 
get it out, kick it out, and get it up, and get a layup. And then we'd, we'd meet these teams, and they'd be like this. And they would take up all their time that they could, and then whoop, and get a shot. We did not play that way. And our coach sometimes would notice, notice that, well, because sometimes in basketball you get out of breath if you run a lot playing fast break ball. You're playing their game. Don't play their game. Play our game. Stop slowing down. Get the rebound, and sometimes you had a few other words in there, and get the ball out. We play fast, not slow. It's good advice. Don't play your opponent's game. Play your game. And that's what Paul does here, you see. He, he could have gotten into that. Well, you know me and you know Apollos. You know who I know? Like Jesus himself came to me in this amazing vision on the road to Damascus. Did any of you ever see that? Can you imagine how close I must be because I'm like Jesus did? He could have played that game. But then he would have been playing their game. So what does he do instead? What after all is Apollos? And what is Paul? Only servants through whom you came to believe as the Lord has assigned to each his task. I planted the seed, Apollos watered it, but God has been making it grow. So neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but only God who makes it grow. You know what Paul was doing there when he says that? He's putting God's word that he's learned into practice into his life. And one of the really key passages of the Old Testament that certainly Paul would have learned is from Jeremiah. Let me show it to you. This is what the Lord says, let not the wise boast of their wisdom, or the strong boast of their strength, or the rich boast of their riches, but let the one who boasts boast about this, that they have the understanding to know me, that I am the Lord who exercises kindness, justice, and righteousness on earth, for in these I delight, declares the Lord. In other words... Do you or I really have anything to boast about since everything comes from the open, gracious, generous hand of God? The answer is no, we don't. God's done it all, and that's cool. So if you're going to boast, boast to the Lord. Give praise to God. That's what's being said here. So let's answer the second thing with a question. What does Paul do instead of jockeying for position? Well, he leans into humility, and he gives all glory to God. Neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but only God who makes things grow. All right, you got that last, what is lean into humility and give all glory to God? All right, last thing. Being humble doesn't mean you don't need to know your place in the world. And this is a big uh, fear that people sometimes have. It's like, well, 
if I don't work to get the respect I deserve, then I'm not going to get, I'm not going to know what my position in the world is. I'm not going to know my place. I have to build myself up to others so that others can see my place in the world, my place in this business, my place in this organization, my place in this neighborhood, my place in this family. I'm the dad. And you're not. So what do we do? We get like this sinful uber-protectedness about our position in the world. Like, if I don't do something to garner the respect I deserve, it's going di- to dissipate and disappear. Paul says maybe there's another way to get that. And, and, and what he does is pretty telling, right? So, there's a passage in the book of Acts that shows us what Paul's approach was, and that is, now when David had served God's purpose in his own generation, he fell asleep, he was buried with his ancestors, and his body decayed. You see what this says? How long are you going to live? How long are you going to need to find your place in this world until you die? That's the answer. What did David do with that time that he had been given between birth and death? He served God's purpose. And that's what Paul's going to talk about. Take a look at um, the last part of this on your notes or on the slide. The one who plants and the one who waters have one purpose, and they will each be rewarded according to their own labor. Like Paul says, between, between Apollos and me, we have the same purpose. And we're living that purpose to bring others to Jesus Christ, to know him as their Savior and their Lord. For we are co-workers. We're teammates. And we're both serving God in God's service. And you... Here's your place in the world as over against us. You're our field where we're doing our work. You're God's building. We're trying, to, we're trying to build you up in the most holy faith. That's what we're here about. And so what all that says is if you want to find your place in the world, you, you don't have to like elbow and jockey and make sure everybody knows how good you are. You could just step back, get on the balcony and say, I want to serve God's purpose. And when you begin to serve God's purpose in your own life, guess what? God makes the space in the world for you like he did for Paul. Just by you serving God's purpose wherever God has put you. Now, some of you want more practical things. So I'm going to give you five quick things. You've heard me say these before. But if you're asking yourself right now, great, I want to serve God's purpose, but I have no idea what God's purpose for me is. No, no, you do. But sometimes we forget it. Your purpose is not your job. That's just a role you're playing. Here's your purpose. Your purpose as a follower of Jesus Christ, wherever you are, whatever job you have, whatever church you're part of, and I could go on and on, but we're already over, is fellowship. 
Bring Christian friends together. That's why we do growth groups here. Your purpose is service. Can you serve the Lord? On your day-to-day life, whatever job you have, absolutely you can. Discipleship, keep growing, keep learning. You know all Christians are lifelong learners. Never lose your curiosity for what the heck is in this book. Keep reading it and reading it. What's, What's interesting about this book, I've read it all the way through so many times I've lost count. I keep getting discipled by it every time and growing my faith. Reach out, tell others about Jesus as their Savior. And most importantly, worship. That's your purpose in life here, of course, but also during your everyday life. Worship the Lord, honor Him. All right, what Paul does to find himself in the world, here's the answer. What is, he focuses on his purpose and his God-given position. He doesn't need any more than that. So, to close out, sponge or sprinkler? What do you think the answer is? Help me. Does God want you to be a sponge soaking up all the praise around you and all the glory? Ah, maybe maybe a few of those words. I can't really tell because I've got this cold, so I have no idea what I just told you. But I'm reassured now. God has a beautiful life, and it can be a fun life. If you will sit here today and go, from now on, I'm going to stop being a sponge, and I'm going to start being a sprinkler. All right, let's do the Apostles' Creed. I'm going to let you guys out of here at some point. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, His only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Christian Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. So here's how I shorten the service when I preach way too long. I just say, here's what you need to know. Open this up and and go back there and read it. And then I say, Dustin, what important thing do I need to say from the stage so everybody hears it? Two thumbs up. All right, read your program. That's what's coming up. Let's pray. Dear Father in heaven, thank you so much for your amazing grace. Ah, how sweet the sound. You saved a wretch like me. But Lord, this life of not needing to soak up praise and glory all the time is so much freer. I pray that today's message will inspire and encourage people in this room to enjoy that freedom of being a sprinkler, not a sponge, and to take everything that happens, good and bad, in our lives and use it to deflect and defer praise to you.
to give all glory to you. As Paul says, whether we eat or drink or whatever we do in life, to give all glory to you with our lives. And Lord, we, we offer up this humble prayer to you in the name of Jesus Christ. He's our Savior and our Lord, and he taught us to pray these words. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen.